0: In this Board Agenda podcast, we interview Sasha Sedan, Director of Investment Stewardship at Legal & General Investment Management. Legal & General has over £1 trillion in assets under management, is one of Europe's largest asset managers, and provides investment management services for many of the UK's biggest corporate pension schemes. Their engagement priorities with boards make headlines, and Sasha is with us to discuss the current agenda and where it may go in the future. We talk to him about inclusive capitalism and the changing environment for boards as they come to terms with demands for action on climate change and sustainability, to be more purposeful and to be accountable to not only shareholders, but all stakeholders. Hello and welcome to this edition
1: of the Board Agenda podcast. In this programme, we welcome Sasha Sedan, Director of Investment Stewardship at Legal and General Investment Management previously recognized by the financial times as one of the 30 most influential people in the city sasha has overall responsibility for corporate governance including esg he frequently works closely with other investors as well as governments and regulators legal and general's engagement priorities make headlines and sasha is with us to discuss the current agenda and where it may go in the future welcome sasha thank you gavin
2: thanks for having me
1: Not at all, not at all. I'll push straight on with the first question, if that's okay. What is the role of investors in the current environment? It's clearly gone further than just about returns.
2: Okay, nice easy one to start with there. So I don't think um, investors have always thought of things apart from returns, but they've certainly been thinking about their role in society for quite a while, and so have boards of directors Um, Before this um, sad crisis that we're in, there was a lot of debate anyway about something called Section 172 and director's duties, and that was happening way before this environment. And so those debates about what kind of things are companies doing, how are they looking after their suppliers, how are they looking after their employees, basically their stakeholders has been a debate. That means investors have to be in that debate as owners of companies, and they want to know thirdly I think you'll find that a lot of the asset owners the people that own the shares that we then run as an asset manager have been asking us we want our returns we want good companies but we also want dot 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 which includes some of those other things that aren't just about financial performance I think we've also found and I think the debate that we're going to talk about is that financial returns are based on more than just profits R&D and d Looking after, getting the best employees, training, all of these other things, being known as a good company, all help you to get some of these profits and longer term. And therefore, they are to do with returns, but they're not always from financial metrics that get there. And therefore, that we will link together. And my last phrase is something that I think we've started to do much more, and will become even more important in this environment. Is companies are linked, inextricably linked to the societies in which they operate.
1: Do you get a sense that that last point you've made has changed the discussion between engagement people uh, at asset managers and the boards of companies in which they invest?
2: I think things have been changing, as I was saying, for a while, but we've got to be, we've got to be realistic that the company discussion depends where those discussions are. A lot of asset managers have been quite low on this. They've also been quite late to the party. A lot of the people who have been portfolio managers or analysts have still continued to ask more of the quarterly returns, financial returns questions, and companies have felt that they haven't been asked them. But when you've been in the sort of position that I am and my peers are, and talking to board chairmen and the non-exec directors, they've definitely been feeling this, Se- seismic change for quite a while. We've seen it with, if we just stick to the UK for now, we've seen the governments of this country talking about price caps, living wage, different things that have been, and diversity. They were looking at diversity quotas and employees on the board, although we didn't want all of these things. These are the kinds of things that have been happening, and they've been happening for quite a while. But we're absolutely getting the fact that our own, if you think about someone like Elgin, are clients are the same end investors they're the same electorate that put politicians in power and if they're asking us they'll also be part of the focus groups that saying this is important to the politicians. so we are all in this and it's starting to get much higher up the agenda
1: now there are many buzzwords around at the moment, in the debate around business and its relationship, tell, <laughs> well, it. tell me about it. Well, let, let's just list them, shall we? Very quickly, we have sustainability, purposeful companies, stakeholderism, thinking long term. How do investors categorise these concepts and integrate them into investment policies so they make so they bring about a coherence in the conversation you're having with companies?
2: Well, let, let's go back to basics. We are investors on behalf of, let's say, pensioners who need to generate a return and an annuity or a dividend stream to pay themselves for the future. We want companies then to be long term generators of capital and returns. To do that, they have to think of their business model. So let's please stop worrying about buzzwords and just think what is important around my boardroom. And what's happening around the boardroom is, do I have the right kind of thinking because I need to know about cybersecurity? I need to know about what's happening in China. I need to think about this technological digitalization that's changing my business model. That's why you need to do these things. It's for your board that needs it, not because a Sasha or someone like that is asking you because there's a lot of buzzwords. But... That also is the same with climate change. That is starting to affect quite a lot of business models. But what I don't want is companies to try and feel they have to tick all the boxes. So make it relevant. Think about the parts of the business that are affected by some of these buzzwords and what you were doing anyway. Trying to look after employees in the COVID world is something that you as a good company is probably doing anyway. But explain what you've done. That's much better than saying, I've just spent a year writing a purpose statement. Show us actions that you've done, and we're going to be much more receptive to that than telling us, repeating the buzzwords back, because I agree completely. There's a lot of this about, and one of the things that we've found is good companies have always thought about these kinds of issues. They just haven't articulated them back in the way that we've always wanted, and we're all getting better at it.
1: That's very interesting. Have you encountered boards that are kind of caught up in or lost in trying to fathom what these buzzwords mean for them? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think so. Some companies are absolutely on their own agenda, they know what they need to do, they think about these issues, and we've got great examples and stuff. There are other companies that are going, We're upset that we've got an ESG rating that's low. And I'm saying you should worry about the things that matter you probably as a board should put a slide about why our rating might say this, but on the five things that we think are the most important issue for our company, here's what we've done, here's what we're doing, and this is what we're aiming to do. How it links back to our purpose, how it links to shareholder returns, and how it links to the pay packet of the executive team. That will get you a lot of the way there. Of course, the things that we don't care about is when telecoms companies tell us they recycle their paper. It doesn't really – they probably should do that because it might save them some money, but that's not climate change. That's not what the biggest issue for that company is, and therefore they don't need to try and repeat things that they think we want to hear.
1: Now, you mentioned shareholder returns there. In recent months, over the last couple of years maybe, the phrase shareholder returned. Has become something of a dirty word in business circles, or at least on the periphery where people are discussing uh, the future of business. Uh, how do you think about that phrase, and how do you talk about it to your investee companies and their boards?
2: Well, in nineteen, I think it was nineteen sixty-four. Lord Seif, the CEO and owner at the time, or one of the owners of MS summed up that we're only in business if we can serve our customers, make their lives better, produce goods that they want, bring society the area they want. You read that, it was 1960s. We're not talking. And of course you want that because then it became one of the most successful retailers around. So some of this stuff is not new news, as I've said before. And so I don't think the debate I think we want capitalism. We certainly, I talk about capitalism a lot, but it's just a slightly nuanced, responsible capitalism. What people have been annoyed about is not just that companies have made money, it's that they made money in the short term, and then we found out later that it wasn't very responsible or sustainable, and then they had to pay fines, or it was they had to cut the dividend afterwards, or they geared up too much, that it wasn't for the long term benefit of their own shareholders. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I totally see where that debate has moved. And I spend a lot of time with government and regulators saying we don't need more red tape. We want companies to do well because companies and equities, especially, but credit as well, are the lifeblood of making returns for our investors. And that is, and Profits are a good thing if they're done in the way that we think of. And that is exactly what Section 172 and fiduciary duty has already got in the statement. It just needs to be shown, applied and actioned.
1: Um, There is a lot of talk about um, long-term thinking that's arisen as a result of the pandemic. Are are businesses adapting to long-term thinking? Or I get the impression you think a lot of businesses are always been there? Or have they, as a result of the crisis, turned to short-term thinking?
2: Um, So let's start with the the first point. It's up to Elgium to prove that we're long-term investors. And I hope the boards of the UK received a extremely positive letter from Elgium on March the 27th, saying that we were there for you. We understand this is difficult times, and we started to get lots of questions because we know companies so well and we have such a trusted relationship. So, here's some of the answers to the questions you've been asking us individually. And it included how to do the AGM, if you have to cut your dividend, we'd be supportive of that if you needed to. And I think that's quite important that we play our part in this long term. It's easy. And I think that is a fair question that um, boards say that their investors don't sometimes ask them these questions, even though they're supposed to be long-term. But secondly, I think the equity markets have replenished. We've seen us as well as others stepping up for placings. We've been supportive of all the dividend cuts, sadly, that we've had to take. We've um, understood about virtual AGMs and uh, suppliers and all of that stuff. But good companies should be thinking about these things. It's the sad, it's the new normal for a while. I think some of the companies that have been quite short term have realized that not paying their landlords when they've got the balance sheet to do it is not a good thing. And we've seen some companies that have been backlashed, and they got backlashed by their employees and the uh, media before their investors. It wasn't waiting for an AGM. So I think that is a couple of the points. But at the end of the day, it's companies should think that they have always going to have some rainy day moments, and so shouldn't have had this, the most geared balance sheets because. Although we never thought this would happen, you should be able to have some month's cash flow to manage your business in a bad time. And so we would like companies not to be so geared in the good time so that they can manage the bad times.
1: And you raised two very interesting points there. Um, One is, uh, very briefly, I wonder how long your patience is with four no dividends. And secondly, there really is, isn't there, uh, a lesson in this about the management of capital inside companies and their cash flow. And so many companies entered the crisis on the edge, as it were. They were always managing their businesses on the edge.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of questions. The first thing is, if you don't think you've got enough money and you can't pay your dividends, then absolutely you should be supporting the business first you should also make sure that you are spending that money in where you think is the best appropriate case so we're we're quite happy i wouldn't say the word happy but we understand that if there's a period of time you can't pay dividends that's fine if that means that your balance sheet gets stronger and your valuation gets better for the longer term that will end up being a better business model and that will help because we are here for the long term we don't want you to say, I think I'm all right. Let's go straight back to dividends. And then we start to go back into second wave and let's hope this is the last of it. And then you have to do another U-turn. That wouldn't be any use for anyone. Thirdly, I think companies that prove their worth now will get their benefits going forward when we get out of this, shown that they are part of a responsible capitalism and will get seen as part of the solution. And there are some, sadly, but there are some great opportunities out there for some companies. And so I think they don't always have to pay it out. What we do want, though, is we have been disappointed in the past with some companies that have geared their balance sheets quite much and had generated earnings per share via buybacks and financial mechanisms, which have patently not been for the long term. No one would have known that this was going to happen. But being geared up to six times debt to EBITDA is not a good experience and is certainly not something that markets, credit markets and equity markets are happy with in this environment. So I think it's that balance, absolutely.
1: So a lot to think about there in terms of financial structuring. Let me switch to a a specific engagement policy LGM has talked about recently and that's ethnic diversity on boards. Boards have shifted in terms of gender diversity. Where do you want them to go in terms of ethnic diversity?
2: Well, let's take one step back and say, I don't think we want to tell companies what they should be doing. So that's, that's really quite important. So when we discussed five years ago about climate change with a lot of companies, quite rightly, some of them said, well, it doesn't really affect me. It affects oil and gas companies and mining companies. Well, it's starting to affect a lot of other companies and some of the regulations and things that are coming. So, we're trying to bring, we think, some of the big ESG topics early to companies. When you think about specifically the question you're asking on ethnicity or diversity, we've been pushing on diversity, especially gender diversity to start with. I remember eight years ago when we announced it, people saying, again, what has that got to do with an investor? Why has that got to do with my business model? We recruit the best people. Well, that may be the case, but I can tell you what was going on, and we could see that the, what our clients were saying, what the electorate was saying, what the politicians were saying is that your workforce is diverse. Why is it not so diverse at the top of your organization? And if you keep appointing people based purely on meritocracy, how comes it's been 100% men in the last? 80 years. So how are you going to move it? So we did start pushing on gender and you could measure it. Obviously, it's a lot easier to measure than ethnicity. But I think all we're saying is, first of all, we want good returns. There is enough evidence that diverse thinking, diverse sports in general, perform better. We've seen studies from Goldman Sachs. I've seen studies from Credit Suisse. I've seen studies from McKinsey. I've seen studies from academia. Now, if you are an investor, you want those better returns. Now, I do understand it wasn't because they are just diverse, but it was a modern company thinking differently, thinking about how to invest R&D and allocate capital for the future. Then we want some of that as an investor. So I think that's why we're doing it. On ethnicity, we are saying we are with what's been going on anyway, this is the next thing that's coming down the line. And during COVID, we've had significant problems and you've seen the Black Lives Matter movement and all the problems that have happened. This is going to be something your employees ask you. Our employees are asking us. They are pushing us. So don't. we are not saying that this is something for you and not for us. We're doing a lot on this. And why is it that you can't find someone from India, China, That's that not good enough to be on your board in the next few years, you will be asked this question by governments, you'll be asked this by the media, and you'll certainly be asked this by your employees and investors. So we're bringing this up the agenda.
1: Now, um, you've also said recently you're going to ramp up engagement on climate change. How do you assure yourself that what companies are doing on climate, how they're adjusting their business models? are are moving in the right direction?
2: Well Gavin, as you as we sort of touched on, the whole point is it's got to be financially material. We are doing this because we think this is the right thing for companies. And most of the companies we talk about are already on this journey, but they want help. And again, we're not I do not think that we are experts where we are very lucky. we had seven hundred and thirty nine engagements with four hundred and ninety three companies last year, and we listened to what they say. And some great companies tell us some good ways that they are dealing with things. And so it's quite good for us to share it back. So we had our non-executive director event last month where we had over 250 NEDs. And we shared back some of the best practice that we've learned. We didn't say it was our best practice, but it's just good to help. On climate change, you're quite right. A company telling me they recycle their paper is not exactly answering the exam question if your business model in the automotive sector is being completely disintermediated what are you doing how are you spending your capital where is your long term plan to make sure that you're you're going to survive and hopefully flourish but yes we do get we do get the question that you get we get some things called greenwashing which i think is the the question you're asking but we have a great team we use great data analysis and something for the board members I think you need to know is a lot of the data that we're starting to get now is not coming from the companies themselves. There's there's methane data from EU satellites that tell us exactly how much pollution is coming out there that is different to the data that's coming out of some companies. So we would use that as a way of sense checking. We have political lobbying details. So we know and we pay for data from a group that analyzes political lobbying on climate change. So a company, a mining, an oil and gas or utility company may say to us, we care about climate. And we will say, well, that's very kind. And you may say that, but you spent $14 million of our clients' money lobbying against climate change. That doesn't seem to me that you really care about it. So we can use external data to make judgments on whether they are walking the walk or talking the talk
1: and is that leading some to some strained conversations inside the border um sometimes but i think it's it's a much
2: more grown up conversation because it's basically we know you're trying you're not doing as well as you get you need to audit that data You didn't know you were lobbying all the time because you didn't know what everything was going on. You're a non-exec chairman. You didn't know all that. Go away. And you've seen some of the biggest companies say, I've now done a complete audit and we've now got rid of three trade associations. So it's, it's more of an honest conversation. And of course they're saying to me, where did you get this data? Some of them are going, can I borrow it? So it can, it can be that it can be the fudge, but it can also be start a very good constructive conversation. And we're trying We're trying to help them by telling them this isn't true. And if we've spotted it, others will.
1: Now, climate obviously is the uh, subject of our time, but I wonder if there are other engagement issues that you see coming up in the future.
2: Well, I think there's two that are pertinent that we're discussing this during this terrible COVID pandemic. The first one is we've all pushed governments everywhere to help support industries support people, support our hospitals and everything else, and governments have in their own way done quite a lot in quite a short period of time. The question that is going to come back quite quickly, we have touched on it before, but we'll come back much more, is are companies, corporates, paying their fair share of tax? What kind of transparency do we see in the tax that they're paying in the countries where they operate? And I think that would be an area... That one, we will ask questions. But two, if I was a non-executive director, I'd want to feel comfortable. And the answer we we apply we apply the laws of the country are not a very good answer because you should always apply the laws of that country, and I always try to myself. But are you paying a fair share of tax? Are you comfortable with how aggressive you are? And do you think then that you have got a problem that might come in the future as governments try to get some of their balance sheet back? Secondly, we've just talked about inextricably linked to the societies in which they operate. I think people will be looking at whether companies are paying a fair, the word in lots of countries is the living wage rather than a minimum wage. And I think that kind of question is going to be asked more about what kind of things do you do for your employees? Do you give them at the lower levels, do you give them some free shares? What kind of things do you do? Do you give healthcare? care? What are you doing for your employees? And are you paying them well? And That pay ratio question was coming up before COVID. But I think financial inequality will be another area that will definitely be highlighted. And anything a company can show on where it's trying to move to and any positivity and impact that it's doing will be greatly received. We've seen many companies offer free shares recently.
1: Sasha, that's been a fascinating insight. Very quickly, what's your quick tip for boards in their engagement with investors like you?
2: Well, honesty and humility. And then just tell us how, what are the things that are troubling you around the boardroom and what things have you done? Because a good example would be people say, we've engaged with lots of um, our employees. What did you take from that? What did you do differently after listening to 550 of your employees? Give an example. Meeting 550 employees is not important if you didn't do anything differently. Or if you didn't do anything differently, what was good beforehand? What did they all say that was so good? Just give us some of the flavor of what you've done and how you're doing it.
1: So actions speak louder than words.
2: Always do in any industry.
1: Sasha, Sudan, thank you very much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. And that's all from the Board Agenda podcast in this program. We'll be back soon with more information and interviews. Bye-bye.
0: That was a podcast brought to you by Board Agenda. For the latest thinking about corporate governance and to access a complete online resource for boards and directors, register or log on at boardagenda.com. Thanks for listening.